He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Aotearoa New Zealand has just over 200 bird species, about 170 of which are native. Ireland's got over 450 species. They evolved in different environments, but today birds in both nations face threats such as diseases, changing land use, and of course climate change. So how are they doing? And are we helping or hindering? This week, we continue our battle of the birds. Let the talons rake and the feathers fly, as today we will announce the winner of the great Ireland versus New Zealand bird off. Welcome to Our Changing World, Cool Clerk and Canon Thane. Today I'll be your host, judge and jury, and keeper of the peace, because we're back with our avian aficionados to decide once and for all who will take out the snood, the crest, the crown. Last week's opening salvos saw the white crested sea eagle defeat the moa and hast eagle on account of not being extinct, and we saw the kea outsmart the northern raven. Titi Ponamu was gifted a win over the Goldcrest in a move Ireland might yet regret. And we finished up with a mighty showdown. Sirocco the Kakapo versus the Swallow, the Herald of the Summer. In a controversial decision prompted by childhood memories, the Swallow was given the win to leave everything tied up at two all. And so we're back to sort this out once and for all. Representing the island of Ireland, we have Ricky Whelan. Defender of Crows, Biodiversity Officer at Offaly County Council and co-host of the In Your Nature podcast with Birdwatch Ireland. Jamie McCauley is putting forward the case for New Zealand's feathered friends. A Kiwi cuddler, chaos stalker and friend of the rock wren, he's a conservation biologist with the Department of Conservation working in Fjordland National Park. Kia ora. Ricky and Jamie will be given some categories for which they must nominate a bird champion. Points will be awarded according to a completely unknowable rubric I have created. The Hooded Crow heralds a win for Ireland. <coughs> and the Call of the Kea a New Zealand triumph. <coughs> right, let's get into it. And for our first category, what bird is in most trouble? The most... <coughs> because this is a badge of dishonour, I've decided that the points here will reverse. Win this and the other nation will be awarded the point. Well, obviously, New Zealand, this is a power category for us. You know, we have the highest proportion of threatened species out of any country in the world. You know, 32% of species in New Zealand are threatened with extinction. That, you know, for, for other nations, that is sort of pretty hard to comprehend just just how dire things are in New Zealand. And when we overlay kind of with just how many of our species are endemic, which means, you know, they occur here and nowhere else on Earth, it really puts us in a, in a bad place. That's 32% of the 168 native New Zealand bird species threatened with extinction, according to a parliamentary commissioner for the Environment Report from 2017. They're in serious trouble, but a further 48% were classed as in some trouble. Only one in five native birds, just 33 species, were thought to be doing okay. A sad one that comes to mind here is the Taraiti fairy turn. So, you know, less than nine breeding pairs of these things on the planet. And so you've got conservationists trying to sort of 
put in place a, a bunch of things. They, they, they're living, breeding on beaches in sort of near highly populated um, areas and sort of, you know, it, this is just incredibly challenging. And, you know, I can say as a, as a conservationist, when you, when you work your, your day in, your day out doing this stuff and you've got such a limited number of these things and you're trying to do it and, you know, you go home some days and you think, you know, maybe I should have just been a postman. You know, you get, you, you put the letters in the mailbox and your job's done and it's easy, you know, as opposed to like these things are facing such an array of human threats and across a whole, you know, one of the threats listed for these guys was um, picnickers, you know, that picnickers on the beach could threaten their nests. I mean, when you when your very existence on this planet is threatened by picnickers, you know, you've got a, you've got an issue. I thought we were going to win this hands down with the most absolutely shagged species, not in a European context, but in an Irish context, would be the curlew. But we're looking at somewhere between 120 and 150 pairs. But when you can nail it to less than 10, I feel a little bit like an imposter trying to suggest this species. But I will go through the motions and I will describe the situation facing curlew. So curlew are kind of the poster boy for ground nesting birds, ground nesting farmland birds, you might call them in Ireland, in that ground nesting and a bird, you could just already list the conflicts. So the one that would be looked to historically would be agricultural intensification. So moving away from literally the horse and plough and the birds would literally move away and the farmer would know where the nest is and actually physically avoid it. You know, there would be a great tradition of that to moving to silage systems where there could be not one cut of silage a year in the summer, there could be four up to five now because of our reliance on nitrogen. So anything that nests on the ground just has, there is no space for them anymore. Big time agricultural intensification has been the, the major driver here. But now what they're facing and a lot of the other ground nesting birds such as lapwing, red shank, snipe, is the edge effect caused by our forestry practices and our forestry policy in that we very much like to plant conifer trees for industry on very sort of what you'd call marginal land, mostly peat soils, which are leaning themselves perfectly for ground nesting species. So they're competing with that, the forestry industry now, but also the edge effect creates basically highways for foxes and generalist predators, even badgers, even hedgehogs, would you believe, and good old grey crows to hang out and watch exactly where the lapwings and the curlews are hanging out before they raid the nest and either attack and destroy the eggs or the young. So they're really in trouble and we're throwing the kitchen sink at it from a conservation point of view in that you know, there's predator fences going up around individual nests. That's how bad it's getting. There's there's keepering in place where like there's literally marksmen, you know, surrounding the site to make sure there's no foxes coming and going and all this sort of stuff. But it really feels to me that it's an absolute desperate attempt to hold on to a small amount of birds. A clear winner slash loser here. And not to diminish the problems that Irish curlew face, the fact remains that even if breeding pairs of curlew became locally extinct from Ireland, there would still be curlew to be found across Europe. For New Zealand's endemic birds, extinct from here means gone forever. But back to the task at hand. With Ireland awarded that reverse point, the score is now 3-2 to Ireland. Time for our second category. I ask our representatives to put forward their contenders for the most ridiculous. I'm going to be very specific in that I'm going to choose a specific part of the bird's life cycle when it's absolutely ridiculous. And that is the chick, the youngsters 
of the Eurasian cuckoo. I don't know if you've got any cuckoos in New Zealand, but cuckoos are brood parasites. So they, they mimic the design and shape and look of the host's egg. They lay their egg in that nest and then their chick is the nest parasite or the brood parasite. It kicks out its adopted siblings and it's then the sole nestling that's fed by the, the, the host family, which in Ireland they target meadow pipits largely because their nests are easy to access, they're found in high densities. The cuckoo doesn't rear the chicks themselves, it just lays the eggs and goes about their business. So the cuckoo is a very short-staying migrant and then it lands up, does the business, lays its eggs and gets out of town. But their chicks are up to four or five times the size of the host parent. And a photo of a chick, cuckoo chick compared to a, a meadow pipit, or in the UK you might see them, sedge wobblers feeding them or, or something similar. It looks absolutely alien and bizarre. And for me, that has got to be the weirdest, strangest. What was the category again? Most ridiculous. Most ridiculous thing. It's, it's ridiculous that a bird would look at its youngster, you know, literally with rose-tinted glasses and go, how did I rear this beast. Look, he's a little bit chonky, but you know, I'll keep feeding him. Correct. They're <laughs> weird. Google it. Everyone listening to this, Google it. It's all weird looking. Ooh, good one. We do have two species of cuckoo in New Zealand as well, and I've never, ever seen a nest. I'd be so interested to see. Same thing, they parasitize the nest and, you know, lay their eggs in the, in, I think it's um, grey warblers and whiteheads here in New Zealand that, yeah, I'd be so interested to see that sort of, like, what, how does that work? Um, the most ridiculous I'm going to come up with, and this is slightly, it's actually... Um, the kiwi, and the kiwi is a bird that everybody knows, and within conservation in New Zealand, you know, we've got uh, kiwi bank, kiwi rail, kiwi post, you know, in New Zealand there's kiwi everywhere, we identify with kiwi, we name a fruit after it, but, you know, but, uh, and, and within my career in conservation, it was quite a while before I actually did any work with kiwi, you know, a, a part of me was a little bit like, oh, kiwi, you know, they get all, they got the money, and, the, you know, everybody wants to work with kiwi, celebrity manga species, you know, but, I, I distinctly remember the first time I held a, a, a big adult tokoika. And this thing's like, you know, probably like three, three and a half kilos, the size of like a good, you know, Jack Spaniel. And and I was, you sort of, cr the way you hold it so that you don't hurt it is your arm underneath its back, sort of cradling it like you might a, a baby or an oversized sort of toddler. And they're just, you know, I, I've sort of heard about these things and you've known about them all your life. So it kind of doesn't clock just how absurd they are as a bird. You know, they, they've got this long spike of a walking stick of a bill out the front with little tiny nostrils, not where everybody else's nostrils are, but right at the end of the bill. They've got this shaggy, these beady little eyes that they can't see anything. They're out all night. And this shaggy coat. And the, the feathers themselves are quite incredible. Um, if you imagine a, a seagull feather that you see on the beach and that sort of sleek, slick kind of flight feather in two-dimensional planes. So all of the, what we call the barbules, the little bits that come off the main feather shaft. In a seagull feather like you might see, they all come off on a two-dimensional plane. They all run parallel to each other. They're all beautiful so that the guides flight. Within a kiwi, they've got no need for flight and they have a very old lineage of bird. And so they're all coming off all angles, at all these crazy angles. So the feather, instead of being this one sleek, smooth thing, is this kind of like poof of fluff that, um, you know, so you're holding it in your arm and instead of having like what you might think of every other bird you've ever seen in your life, which is a nice 
you know, oh yes, very good plumage. It's like this shaggy coat of fur and all of that is covered with oil from the the kiwi itself you know you're cradling this thing that's a long stick build thing out the front these sort of (laughs) big old feet that are about a third of the length of its body this shaggy kind of roughly coat and i just remember having this moment thinking this is ridiculous (laughs) this is utterly ridiculous what is this thing this isn't a bird what happened look The kiwi is like New Zealand's joker. You pull it out, nothing can defeat it. Jamie decides now's the time to claw back a point, and he's done it. (coughs) The nations are level once more. But unfortunately, that's all we have time for right now. If you want to find out who wins, you'll have to visit our webpage at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Huge thanks to our two nation representatives, Ricky Whelan and James McCauley, and to Mary Kyo of Port Arlington Enterprise Centre for allowing use of the recording booth there. This episode was produced by me, Clark and Cannon, with help from William Ray and Ellen Rikers. Sound engineering is by Phil Benj, and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. If you've got suggestions for other competitions or categories, we want to hear them. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at RNZ Science. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Have a great week. Kia pai, to wiki.